0: I I just want to make sure that, you know, we we see the connection between uh, the baptism that uh, the Ryan makes and and Pastor Brian. Got to, uh, got to join in this community and also that video that we just saw together um, about giving uh, ourselves, giving us all, giving uh, over our everything. And, uh, and especially this morning, uh, how fitting it is to see um, parents respond to God's first word and, and to hand over and to give this, this child for God to, to seal and to say and to claim, Ali, you are mine. Um, if we can pray one more time, uh, God, we, uh, we respond to your call this morning, and uh, Lord, we ask that you open up our hearts and minds to hear uh, the challenging word that you have for us, God, about giving over uh, our everything, and again this morning going all in with everything that we have and every, uh, every uh, person that we are, Lord, putting ourselves all in. Um, God, we, uh, we want to acknowledge in a moment of honesty this morning that while some of us have come from a beautiful place this week and are ready to be challenged and to be inspired, there's others of us here this morning, Lord, that, uh, that we've been uh, uh, spiritually beat up and fallen flat and have just been reminded again and again and again that we simply do not measure up. God... Uh, but we know in your economy and life with you, Lord, the resource of, 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 uh, of courage bravery, of, of being inspired, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, these things, these resources are infinite. So we ask, Lord, that you give us a challenge, that you give us a heart that is willing to accept whatever it might be that you're laying on it. It's in your name we pray, amen. Hey friends, I, uh, I love that, uh, the way that that video started off, that clip, um, or I'm sorry, I love how it how it ends rather, that one of those last lines that say, what if, you know, what, what if we, we pray the prayer, God, uh, take everything that I have, take it all. What if we hand it over our everything? What if, what if the best parts of life, um, what if we gain it, not by holding on even tighter, but by, but by handing it away? What if by hanging on to it, we're actually missing out on the best parts of life? What if we hand it over, give it all? What if God could do anything he wanted to with our lives? Uh, I love it because it obviously uh, fits in well. It continues the series that we're moving through, part three of four on, on this, uh, what it means to, to go all in and following, af- following after God and, and hearing some stories out of the Bible of people who have taken that, that leap at, at God's prompting, have been faithful in return. Um, I want to uh, kind of move into the, the message this morning by picking up the theme of that video that comes out of an excerpt of a book by Jenny Allen called Anything, in which she prays a prayer, Lord, take anything. It's all yours. Uh, And a story, kind of the book unfolds the events that follow and just the incredible journey that that prayer has taken her on. Uh, But it didn't start there. Now, in in her words, it didn't start by praying that prayer. It started a long time before that. It started way before she ever prayed. It started, in fact, as she was growing up. And and she remembers as a kid kind of being uh, raised in this house with good parents, Christian parents who who wanted to give her God. But the question is, how do you give someone God? And they did what they could. And she wants to acknowledge that. They, they read her the Bible. They told her stories. Um, they, they, even, they even did kind of quirky family things. Like during, uh, on Christmas Eve, they'd have a meal together. And afterwards, they'd sing Christmas carols, the five of them, kind of around the, the kitchen table, which she remembers just absolutely loving when she's a 16-year-old girl who invites her, her first boyfriend over for dinner. And they're awkwardly singing. <laughs> But they did everything that they could to, to give her God. Only what she got was the script to follow. This, Hey, if you're following after God, if you call yourself a Christian, these are the things you're supposed to do. These are the things that you're supposed to avoid. And she likens it almost like this, not God, but this plastic version of God that kind of hangs up on a shelf somewhere in, in a room. And you pass by, you might talk to the plastic thing, the, the doll or the plaything. You might even do a great deal of talking about the plastic God hanging on the shelf. But the problem for her, at least, was that it never came to life, was that it wasn't, it wasn't real. At the end of the day, it was just this thing in the room. And she didn't quite like realize the full power of that or at least of what she was missing out on. She didn't realize it until she was sitting down with a conversation with a friend. And the friend was like um, talking about how she was flipping through life, lifestyle magazines, right, like a Glamour or you know Real Simple, or, um, and she's just reminded about flipping through these magazines about all of the ways that she is unhappy in life. So for those of you who don't know, um, like Glamour, Real Simple, these lifestyle magazines, it's it's like a print version of Instagram. Kind of figure out ways that you don't measure up in your own life, and, and so she's like, you know what, I'm going to do something about this. And so she starts cutting out pictures and gluing them into a separate book. And she's got like pictures of a two-story white, some brick on a house. She's got pictures of uh, 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 like a strong-looking, attractive, successful husband, adorable small kids. She's got a picture of a black Volvo SUV to cart everybody around in. It's like, and, and Jenny is commenting on this and she's like, I've never met anybody before who who literally scrapbooked the life she doesn't have. <laughs> but she just calls it the, the life I hope for. And it was in that moment, and you know, it was then that she realizes something. That, that who she thinks of when she thinks of God is, is uh, relegated to one picture on a single page of a scrapbook of things I hope for. You know, and the scrapbook is, is maybe sparse at first, but as time goes by, it starts to get filled in. It starts to fill up. Life starts eventually to come together. And she realized God has almost no part in this scrapbook of things I hope for, about my life's plan at all. She realizes that God is this glossy, plastic thing that gets tucked away on a shelf somewhere. Talked about, sometimes talked to, but never listen to. Never listen to because, because if God should come alive, if God should come real, he might speak. And if God might speak, he might take that scrapbook of life that I hope for, and he might start to rip out pages, and he might start to insert pages that I don't want in my scrapbook of life. She doesn't want God to become real. I don't, there's parts of me, friends, I don't want God to become real because of what he might demand on me. And I just want to give you the freedom this morning to say, I think there's a part of your heart too that doesn't want to go all in, that doesn't want God to quite become real because we're afraid of what it might entail, about what he might say if he's allowed to speak. Jenny came to a point in life, came to a stage where she just, she just decides, you know what? I'm ready. I'm ready for the plastic God to melt away. I'm ready to find the real living God, the God who speaks, the God who makes demands, the God who commands not only our lives, but also our budget, also our skills. I'm ready to find that guy, that God, or or better yet, be found by him. So I want to invite you this morning, if you're ready... And I understand not everybody is and so we'll cut to that in a few minutes too but if you're ready to find that God if you're ready to be found by him if you're ready to go on this adventure I just I want to help you melt away the plastic version of God and find the real living one. We're going to do that by looking at a crazy story, Genesis uh, chapter 22. And we're going to read through it uh, bits by bit. And, and hopefully, you know, if we can s- stick with the story by the end, uh, hopefully we can, we can see this plasticky, glossy version of God melt away and find, and find the real true living one who speaks and makes demands. Um, let's go to Genesis 22. It's on the flow sheet, also on the screen behind me. Just do a couple of verses at a time. First one to start with, Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, uh, here I am, he replied so much in the first verse. It's just loaded with the everything that happens, I'm convinced, in the next uh, dozen or so verses. It flows right out, and I was already implied, right out in this verse. You know, first of all, we have this um, paradox in the story where even people who first heard this story, found problems with it. Because even though we don't know what happens next, but just the simple fact that God comes in and he tests Abraham. It's like, I'm sorry, hang on a second. Um, I'm here this morning. I don't know about you guys, but I am here this morning because I believe God is strong (laughs) and he's powerful and he knows something about me. He knows a lot about me, loves me the same, and he's got a plan for the direction of my life. I'm here to, to learn more about that. When we hear a a story start off with, hey, God tested Abraham, all of a sudden we get kind of like nervous, right, to say, wait, wait, uh, he's testing Abraham. Does that mean like he doesn't know Abraham? Does that mean he he, like isn't sure about what's happening next? (laughs) Is that a guy that we we pack a room to hear more about? Like, I don't think so. Some of the more uh, ancient rabbis commenting on this passage said, you know, it's an odd thing that he's got to test Abraham. This could just be a huge amount of things uh, going on. But one of them that I think we should latch on to is important for this morning is that when he tests Abraham, he's not doing it because God is wondering what Abraham is doing. In fact, he already already put Abraham to the test a number of times. Abraham had proved himself a number of times. I think when it says God tested Abraham, I think he's making a test case out of Abraham. I think God is telling a story here. Not for Abraham's sake, certainly not for his own sake. I think God is telling a story here to tell us in the room this morning, so many years later, friends, following after Jesus following, pursuing God with all your heart and going all in? Let me just tell you the unlimited extent that this love will carry you into. This is the test case. This is what it implies. Abraham responds, Here I am. Another loaded passage. When Abraham responds, here I am, in the original language that I, I, Abraham would have spoke and what it was written in, it was all one word, here I am, it, it, it it's not so much like a geographical tag, like I'm over here between the tree and the bush. No, he says, here I am, and it means something like, at your service. You know, Abraham had a, had a way of responding every time the Lord broke into his life, and he responded with, here I am. And it's fun to, like, follow some of these phrases kind of throughout the Bible. You just do a quick search, here I am, and you see some of the, the times that the single word, here I am, Hineni, at your service, comes out. Abraham's grandson, Jacob, when he's still a, a young man and God breaks into his life and says, I want you to leave Laban, I want you to go, and, and, and Jacob responds, here I am, Hineni, God, at your service. Later on in Jacob's life, I want you to leave the land that I gave you and go and move in with Joseph, your, your little kid in the land of Egypt. You just got to trust me on this one. Jacob responds a second time, this time in old age. Here I am, hand knee, at your service. Moses getting called out, uh, the people, calling out the people from the slavery in Exodus. God breaks into his life Moses, I've got a plan for you. Here I am, hand and knee, at your service. It goes on and on and on. Isaiah, who will go for us? Here I am, Hennady, at your service. Breadcrumbs pointing, pointing to something. Little, like, little clues, little items left behind pointing us to something even more in the story, that the story isn't just about Abraham and Isaac, but it's about the one who will come later, the one we sing about, Jesus Christ. In Hebrews chapter 11, prayed also. Hebrews 10, sacrifices, burnt offerings aren't good enough. What should we do? Hebrews 10, 9, Jesus Christ says, here I am. Breadcrumbs, but we're not going to bite. We move on. Verse 2, then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain, I will show you. Sacrifice your son Isaac. Who tell you about Isaac? He's what they refer to as the son of promise. You see, a very long time ago, God broke into Abraham's life, and He said, "Abraham, I've got a vision for you. I've got a picture of, about what your life is going to become." And the picture that He gives Abraham is very specific. He goes, "In it, there's going to be the descendants, kids, grandkids, you know." descendants. And they're going to number as many as the sand on the seashore. And he refers to like the stars in the sky. And Abraham is a hundred years old and he hasn't had any kids with he and his wife, Sarah. And he believes this promise, but it's, it's almost like a joke now. And then by what can only be described as a miracle, he has one child. It's not twins, it's not octuplets. We're still a long ways off from the sand on the seashore and the stars in the sky. But he has Isaac. And everything rides on Isaac. And now God says, I want him too. I want him too because God, I've already given so much. Go to the region of Moriah. The specific wording is go to the land. You know, it's used one other time in the Bible. One other time in the, the it's a big, it's a long story. The, the phrasing is used one other time in the Bible. The first time he broke into Abraham's life and say, leave this place, the land of Ur, where you grew up, that you call home, leave this place and go to the land. Go to the region. I will show you. In a sense, it provides like this bookend in Abraham's life where at one point, God broke into his life and he said, you have developed a nice little life here and I'm turning it upside down. In the language of last week, I want you to go to the land. I want you to burn the past. And now, now that he has his son of promise and everything rides on him, and he's saying, God, I have given up my entire past for you. He says, go to the land, go to the region of Moriah because I want also you to burn your future. I want to show everybody, make a test case out of you, that following after me means giving up on your past, means giving up on your future. And I also want to say, if if you're reading this passage and saying, okay, but it's glaring, God's saying, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, it's just that, like again and again and again. It's almost like God gets the ask. He knows what he's asking for. Your son, your only son, the one whom you love. It's like I had you at the first time, but God's like, no, 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 no. Because you have to hear, you have to hear that I understand exactly what I'm asking you of. There's a little particle in the phrase, take your son, kind of a, a suffix tucked on to the, the phrase that uh, that simply uh, It, it like, makes it a little more gentle. So the kind of emotion of the phrase isn't, do this. It's almost like God is asking gently, asking nicely. It's almost like he's saying, Abraham, would you please? Would you do this? Would you take your son, your only son, the one that you love, Isaac? Which, if we had more time, we'd go down this huge tangent of, Of sometimes when God is asking you for the biggest things, he's whispering the quietest. (laughs) Another time. Take your only son and hand him over. Again, breadcrumbs, pointing not to just story, but the story of Jesus, but we're not going to bite. Listen, if you're you're saying (laughs) it's too much, offering his kid red flags should be going like crazy in your mind this is this is not god speaking right you know, there's been uh, all kinds of attempts by like, biblical scholars to, to find a way to say, you know what, Genesis 22, this story, this does not belong in the Bible. See, I don't, I don't think it was ever included. And so these, uh, people do like exegetical, like hula or no, jumping jacks or something, backflips, to figure out a way to say maybe, maybe we've got a mistake. Maybe God not only wouldn't, but maybe he didn't say this. Only at the end of the day, it is in here. <laughs> as much as that I almost wish it wasn't. Here it is. God asked for his son, which is especially bizarre because in other places in the Bible, it says things like the Lord says, I detest human sacrifice. His words in the Bible. This is what separated them from everyone else around them. They didn't participate in this, in this kind of barbarianism. But here it is. I, I, we're not going to wrap it all up, at least right here. I, just, I invite you to, to let the tension just sort of ride throughout the rest of the story and even beyond. I invite you just to, to wonder about that, almost like it's a parable of Jesus, right? And just say, why, God? why'd you do that? I don't get it. And maybe it's not even today or this week or in the next few years that we really come to any kind of a resolution about it, but I just invite you to take this story and say, why would God do such a thing? Um, And if you, you come to the conclusion that it belongs in no place in the Bible, there's a part of me that would absolutely agree, a big part. Hey, if there's a part of you that says, listen, it doesn't belong in the church, I mostly agree. If you say, Listen, seriously, Derek, Mother's Day? Putting Isaac. It's what happens when you leave Dad in charge. <laughs> Just saying, careful. Early the next morning, verse three. <clears throat> early the next morning, Abraham got up, loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We'll worship, and then we'll come back to you. Breadcrumbs. You know, it's not just about this story. It's about the the story. And it's fun that he wrestles for three days knowing what God has asked him about. Three days of wondering, three days of questioning, where is God through all this? Three days of not having any doubt. Seems like we've, we've heard that story once or twice before. There's also a mystery within it about how we will worship and then we'll come back to you, the last line in verse 5. Because Abraham knows full well what he's about to do and we can see that he's ready to go through with it. But, but by golly, he believes that this son is the son of promise. That if God staked his honor in the promise that through Isaac his descendants will be sand of seashore, stars in the sky. And if God made a promise, he'll keep it. No matter what happens on the top of that mountain, I don't care if God has to resurrect the boy from the dead. He made a promise and he'll keep it. We're both coming down from this mountain. Breadcrumbs, but we're not going to bite. Interesting to note, he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering. He got, uh, he's got two servants and a donkey, kind of a, a beast to carry it all. I, I see, it's, it's interesting to note because presumably you wouldn't like, carry the wood with you for a burnt offering. You'd, you'd go to the place and you'd cut down something while you're there. A couple factors at play here. First of all, Abraham is at least 100 years old. He's an old, old man. Uh, secondly, he's got a lot of experience and it's possible he's been to Moriah before and he knows there's not a lot of trees at the top of the mountain do you know how much wood it takes to, to have a, a burnt offering to, to cook a lamb? I don't know either, it's, but it's got to be a lot, right? <laughs> biblical uh, scholars, and I, did, I couldn't come up with a hard number for you, but biblical scholars said, listen, it, it is a lot. I mean, 50, 150 pounds, who knows? It's not like sticks, but I just, I just want you to think of like large timbers, or something like that, that, that they load up, that they need an animal for, that they need two servants for. And so Abraham gets these things, all set to go, and then, they, uh, and then they set out. By the way, it also says that, oh, we'll get there. Verse 6, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, and he placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, father? Yes, my son. Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb breadcrumbs for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Dad is a little old, <laughs> so he's got to be reminded of a few things every now and again. Like dad, we're doing this for an offering. We're going to need an animal for the offering. Isaac is carrying the wood. There's something to that. He's carrying the lumber. His dad is carrying the fire and the knife. When it says they carry fire, it's carrying like a bag of sand, maybe with a number of coals inside of it and a knife. Two servants and a donkey had previously carried the lumber this far. But when they say, wait... It gets loaded up on Isaac. Hang on to that. Verse 9. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there, and he arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he, he reached out his hand. He took the knife to slay his son, but the angel of the Lord called out from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here am I. Here, here I am, hit a knee, at your service, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son. There it is again, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. It's, it's caught by its horns because he's, he's got a knife. How would he even go after a wild animal unless it was it was live trapped? He went over, he took the ram, And he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. It's got a nice little bow on it, doesn't it? It's all wrapped up. It's very neat. God made an insane request on someone. The only time he would ever ask another person to sacrifice his son. But he doesn't have to, you know, in the end. Abraham, don't do this crazy atrocity. Abraham, there's a, I've live trapped a ram, it's caught. Just go take that one, put that on the altar instead. And he does. The operative line in there, so he sacrificed the lamb instead of his son, breadcrumbs. Seems like this substitution sacrifice penalty has has been mentioned one more time, but we're not going to bite It's got a nice little bow tied around it, right? like a ribbon, and just say, it's neatly packaged, it's the end of the story, nobody had to die. It's perfect, it's beautiful, it's, it's God providing again and again and again. He's, he's going to provide for you this week, I just know it. But here's the thing. What about the ask? What about... What about the simple fact that God broke into his life knowing full well that he would say again and again and again every time God would ask him, E, here I am at your service. And he breaks in and says, I want your future. I want your son. Would you give him to me? Would you show everybody just to the extent about following me what, would it, what it could cost? There's nothing neat about a God like that. There's nothing tidy. It seems risky. It seems dangerous. It it seems like the nice... (laughs) pre-packaged plastic version of God that we can hang on a shelf and talk to occasionally but mostly talk about who very rarely has the opportunity to speak back it seems like that plastic version of God is melting away as we read particularly the first half of the story it's almost like he's trying to break into our lives and is saying listen who am I to you? Am I somebody that could just wreck your concept of who I am? Am I bigger than the imagination you have about me? Because I think it's important that, that he is. There's a, a theologian, uh, A.W. Tozer, who, uh, who, who shared the words. He says, what you think about when God comes to mind is one of the most important things about you. Because who that God is, is so telling, so telling about so many things about you, about your concept of of who God is. And it's so critical that God isn't trapped, is bound by the imaginations we have of him. Because when he is, when he isn't allowed to, to break out of whatever mold we put him in, he's just a plastic version. And here's the thing, I don't think you should settle for that. I don't think he wants us to settle for that. I think we ought to ask him to speak, even though when he does, it may not be easy. It may not be safe. It may not be nice and prepackaged. The problem is I, like I'm guessing a few of you if you're honest, I like the plastic safe God because he, he doesn't make these wild demands on me. He, he allows me to, to put him on, on one uh, single uh, picture on a, on a single page and he allows me to think, well, you know, this is the one who sort of, it's his job to fill in the rest of the scrapbook of all the things that I want. It, it's so neat. It's so nice. I don't, I don't want a God that, that wrecks all that, that melts and becomes real and makes demands on me. And you know the scrapbook? It's good things, isn't it? It's just that when good things become the ultimate thing, it's actually the definition of idolatry. Fit for a plastic God hanging on the shelf. Jenny Allen prays. All right ready for you to become real i'm ready to give up everything and in doing so she takes something on i want to share that with you on the screen god has a plan and when we obey and bring him our anything we get to be a part of something something bigger than ourselves and something that transcends ourselves and even changes our eternity If we can lay down our anything, there's everything that we pick up. Uh, In summary, go all in. But if you can't, you know, if there's a part of you that lingers still, if there's a part of you that says maybe, maybe later, maybe just a bigger part of me now instead of all of me, If there's a part of you that doesn't want to go in, I think you have lots of company. (laughs) Think about this. And if there's one image that you leave with, friends, I I pray that it's not an image of a, of of just a a plastic Jesus or even Abraham and Isaac bound, but there's a a picture of the, the logs. 50, maybe 150 pounds of, uh, of wood carried by two servants and a donkey carried up a mountain only by Isaac because Abraham put it on his, on his back. Abraham carried some coals and a knife. Isaac had to do the heavy lifting. Sometimes we picture Isaac as a little boy. A Sunday school picture maybe carrying kindling under his arm going up a hill. historical picture that this story paints is that Isaac was far from a little boy. It's that Abraham was, was, <laughs> celebrated his centennial <laughs> quite a number of years earlier and Isaac was a strapping, strong 30-something that did the heavy lifting. When the text says that Abraham bound Isaac and placed him on an altar, it wasn't an adult forcing his will on a child to do something terrible. I think the picture that comes alive is that Isaac had to assist Abraham's frail hands, his arthritic-ridden hands. To Isaac had to tie maybe his own hands, his own feet, like he's done for so many lambs over the last few decades of life. Is that Isaac was by no means a victim in Abraham's story. No, no. Isaac was an obedient son who carried the timbers up the hill to his own death. We will bite on this breadcrumb if you leave with just one image. I want you to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you're not ready to go all in, if you're not ready to just give him your anything and everything, I just want you to know it doesn't matter. Because Christ still carried his timbers up the hill and died for you. He knew while we're still sinners, while we come from weeks that have just spiritually beaten us up and fallen up flat, he still died. And this isn't like a a, a motivation of guilt to like go out there, you know, now that Jesus has done this great thing for you, couldn't you give him a bigger slice of you? He doesn't work that way. Because he he knew that you'd have reservations. He knew that you couldn't go all in, not yet. And he died anyway. Simply because he loves you that much. Now it's your move you to stand up and let's pray together. Our gracious God, as we pray to to start this time, we, we acknowledge that this day is hard sometimes. These weeks are hard. That life isn't being filled out like the neat little scrapbook we'd hope it to be. And God, we we wonder if that's because you have something different in mind for us, tearing out the pages or putting new ones in that that we want nothing of. But God, we, we pray in all the power of your risen Son that you give us courage to ask you to become real to us this week. And Lord, the power to accept and to act upon whatever demands you make of us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.